Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Mustena Nazarian, an Alexander Technique teacher in Melbourne, Australia. And we're going to talk today about some parallels that Mustena has um, noticed between the basic ideas in Alexander's book, The Use of the Self, which is his shortest and uh, I think generally agreed his most accessible book, and two other books, one, Zen and the Art of Archery by uh, Eugene Eugene Herrickle, I believe, which is kind of a classic um, book about, I'm not sure what it's about, spiritual development <laughs> or who knows, but it certainly has strong connections with Alexander ideas. And a second book, which I'm not familiar with, called You're Not Your Brain by Jeffrey, Sh- Sh- uh, what's his last name, Short? Shorts? Jeffrey Short. Shorts. Shorts. Yeah. Jeffrey Shorts. So, Nazana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for so, having me. So, use of the self is like an Alexander, uh, it's, it's like part of the Alexander Bible, really, isn't it? I mean, hmm. it's, it's a book that er- I would think pretty much anyone who's teaching the technique has read at hmm. least once, and hopefully a, a, a most serious students have read as well. Hmm. Um and you 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 have um noticed these parallels with these two other books Zen the Zen books Zen and the Art of Archery is very well known I'm not so sure but I don't really know about the other one so uh what got you started in looking for parallels or did parallels just kind of jump out at you Well a bit of both first mm-hmm. of all I'm 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 dealing with my own personal journey uh, I'm sure everyone else learning the Alexander Technique or specifically learning to teach the Alexander Technique is also dealing with their own journey. Uh, it's mind, it's body, it's uh, spirit, it's our past experiences. Uh, what unifies these three books for me is that they're all three are dealing with learning and um, teaching as well. Learning how to teach and for me the idea of giving and receiving and sensing and reacting are kind of like kaleidoscope over the teaching and learning. So in a sense, we're uh, giving, learning, and receiving teaching while sensing and reacting. I know that's Mm -hmm. maybe a big concept, but when you're inside the experience, that's a definition or an observation of what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm uh, in a training school, uh, come in for 16 hours a week, I'm committed to three years. This is the well, one of the training models anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, just, just the whole process is, is centered around how I'm sensing and how I'm reacting. How am I, how am I sensing my, my lessons? How am I sensing how I'm being observed? Is it based on judgments, stupid previous experience or is it actually based on what's happening here and now Mm -hmm. so to uncover that a little bit more judgments of my self judgments Mm -hmm. of of how i'm being perceived i think the the book um you are not your brain the four-step solution for changing bad habits ending unhealthy thinking and taking control of your life grabbed my attention it sounds very alexandrian (laughs) doesn't it it's fantastic, yeah. uh, and it and it unlike 
I'm not saying unlike Alexander Technique, but unlike what Alexander writes about Alexander Technique, he didn't want to delve into people's past. And as a teacher of the Alexander Technique, I don't necessarily do that. But as we know, as teachers and also as students, especially from me, especially from me in the training school um, process, um, other stuff comes up. Sure. Whatever that stuff is. And this book, You're Not Your Brain, has it, it outlines a, a mind-body process that uh, is very useful for learning how to deal with myself as a teacher and a learner. Um, so it, it talks about the development of personality. It doesn't necessarily take a Freudian view. It's more based on uh, the research that the writers have done. Uh, firstly, starting with working with people who suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, but mm -hmm. they're expanding it to it, how it can be used for people who are uh, checking their email all the time mm -hmm. or um, other habits, alcoholism or uh, any kind of addictive behavior that the person want, wants to get rid of, either working within a group, using other professionals. What I believe is that Alexander Technique is a fantastic modality uh, when people are involved in um, a process of looking at how they got there. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Could, and, you, could um, you give an example from that book that that would resonate particularly with uh, use of the, the 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 process Alexander describes in use of the self? Yeah, uh, he actually it's fantastic. He actually says there's this chapter where he's talking about um, where desire was, effort and expectations will be. So he's talking he's defining desire as the experience of wanting to avoid something unpleasant or wanting to achieve a pleasant result. And in a way, he's saying that can be your worst enemy. So I think maybe for Alexander, his desire to um, project to, to the end of the room, or um, his desire to want to be successful, and he was getting successful at, at his art, was actually became his worst enemy. End gaining. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, yeah, so that's that's why I've got I've got three words that I like to re uh, that that I have been reiterating for myself that Alexander uses from his his language. So end gaining is one of them. Mm -hmm. So end gaining, I suppose, can be defined as responding in a from a fight and flight state. We're so just I, we're just wanting to get the thing you want. Yeah. Without sure. without um considering the process. Exactly. So yeah. uh at some point it might be useful for the person to realize to really break it down and say why do I end gain more when faced with this kind of stimulus? As or this as opposed to some other kind of stimulus. Yeah, and does that does that go back to something even really or how I perceive a childhood event. I'm not talking about that everyone out there has had a traumatic childhood. That's not the point. Um, it's going back and just uncovering, doing a little bit of archaeology about how we perceive ourselves and how mm -hmm. that can create an end-gaining response. So if I just think, well, my teacher just showed me that I end-gain when I you know, do this thing to my body or 
my body mind as I'm getting out of the chair and I should really stop that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably an, another level to it. So rather than making my perceived end gaining another judgment, another thing, oh, I didn't get it right again. Mm-hmm. Um, saying, well, let me see if I can just um, not try to get it right and see if I can find another plan for uncovering why is it that I end gain? Mm-hmm. What what ta- What is it that takes me out of this particular moment? For me, mm-hmm. it, there are some specific childhood experiences mm-hmm. and it's about learning to learn from them. Mm-hmm. I can either be a victim to those childhood experiences or learn to learn from them. So Alexander's uh, experience has showed me some tools for that, but also what's expressed in the Zen in the Art of Archery, a book about learning, and also what's exper- expressed in this book, You Are Not Your Brain, help with that, help supplement it. Um, so uh, you, you use the term ar- archaeology uh, to go back and look at your perhaps your early life to see where something originated, right? Yep. And... And I think you also drew a very clear distinction between what I guess I would call judgment versus discernment. Sure. Um, So you're going, you may go back and realize, oh, um, my parents were hypercritical about, uh, say I had to get all A's in school or there'd be big trouble. And so now as an adult, anything less than perfection I have weird reactions to, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so just knowing that maybe it came from a childhood situation could be helpful. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of thing that this book deals with and it right. it uh, it provides with it provides the learner a bit the with the alternative, which very much right. like right. learning learning to direct and inhibit. Right. Inhibit and direct. Now, I think some Alexander teachers might say, well, that's all very nice, but if, you, if you're in the moment and you are a, you're tuned into uh, physical uh, tensions that you mm. inadvertently, previously inadvertently created around particular situations that the Alexander Technique will give you some tools for um, basically saying no to those tensions. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. that, And I think there are some teachers that would say, and that's really, um, not only is that all you need, but actually you're better off dealing with the issue on that basis, why go digging around in the past? Yes. So what would you say to that? Well, I think I, I, I agree with that to a certain extent. Again, mm-hmm. um, we started this conversation talking about uh, my personal view. And mm-hmm. um, that's definitely what this book on neuroplasticity, You Are Not Your Brain, is 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 offering. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a skill building way to to be be more effective as a as as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, what it means by you're not your brain is talking about the 
the wiring and the patterning, sort of like the biology that's wired in the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's so it says you're not your brain. So if your brain is giving you um, what they call uh-oh messages when you're faced with a situation that actually doesn't doesn't in reality have any danger in it. Right. It's your brain going on that pattern because of that's how that's one of its wirings. So to learn how to unwire it, they actually talk about an an affirmative no. They definitely talk about that affirmative no. And I think what this book can learn and their process can learn and be supplemented by the Alexander technique, by the process of giving uh, directions to the primary control, freeing the neck. Mm-hmm. But so you, but, but, I, I would like yeah. to do an interview with these writers about right. <laughs> the Alexander but, technique as well, but that's another story. <laughs> but then what what is the argument for it might be a good idea to at least briefly vi- revisit the past just to um, kind of see where where um oh who, who we could call it dysfunctional parenting may have yep. created a problem for you or habit in you that you want to change why even do that if you can just go directly to the wiring so to speak um look it's a matter of personal choice but I think. do you think it's useful to go back sometimes I, I think i think it is useful and the person has to choose to do that Mm-hmm. So I don't think no one no one can make it, make anyone walk into a rehab clinic. Right. It doesn't work that way. So the person, if they're dealing with um, if they're dealing with certain issues that are making them uh, chronically anxious, for example, mm-hmm. uh, it might be useful for them to say, "Wait a minute, it's actually even not what my parents did. It was my perception that was formed at that time. Right. So they're taking responsibility." Now, if Alexander Technique is not about being self-responsible, nothing I don't know is. What it's about. Nothing is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's if I is what you're saying that it might be useful to go back as an archaeologist, kind of a discerner of the situation, not someone making judgments about it, in order to then uh, make it a little easier for you to make changes in the present moment changes to how you react to situations in the present moment yeah there's there's a quick uh, quickly i'm just going to mention some of the language they they talk about um they call these um messages that let's say give you a sweaty palms or uh, butterflies in your stomach uh, Mm -hmm. as you're maybe approaching a difficult situation like a job interview Mm -hmm. Uh, they call these deceptive brain messages and so they have this four-step program for learning how to just letting them be what they are. So it's uh, to first one is to learn to relabel them. So relabel them as what they are. They're not you creating it. It's it's just part of your brain wiring, and you can undo it through mm-hmm. mindfulness, which is in effect the Alexander process is being right. in the moment. Right. Um, so it's re- learning to relabel what your brain is telling you as just what it is. Because if you don't, then you might be in a situation uh, where you're trying to get it right and you're trying to override that and it's just not working. You're, you're uh, going to end up fighting it. Well, exactly. There, there actually have been research done 
that people who don't um, people who don't but people who suppress their emotional reaction actually they get an increase in their blood pressure mm-hmm. and this is really interesting they actually they actually create an increase in the blood pressure of the people around them well i I don't find that so surprising in a way no it's not but it, apparently they've yeah. done some sort of sociological yeah. psychological research with subjects right. um, so it, it it increases their stress hormones. It um, basically they're saying that being able to just notice what's happening mm-hmm. and just let it be what it is is mm-hmm. much more useful and beneficial. So, so maybe the answer to the question I posed earlier is that uh, it, it may be useful to go back to to to, to do a, a investigation uh, of what happened earlier. But you don't want to. You don't want to hang out there for weeks and years and decades. No, that's not what you're suggesting yeah, at all. No, I know. I know that's not what you're suggesting. But that you want to. If you do go back, it's for a purpose, which is exactly. to gather data that can yep. be useful to you right now. Yeah. And you're not going to go around, you know, bad mouthing your your mom for the next thirty years. You know, uh, uh, it had no, nothing to do with the the mom anyway. It just it really to do doesn't with have. It, in yeah. a sense, it has nothing to do with mom, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's it, that's that's an interesting approach, and um, you know, Alexander when he was up against his uh, his voice issues, he didn't do a lot of dwelling on the past. It, it seems just from reading his books, but. There's one point where he, you know, one of his habits that isn't talked about a lot so much anymore. It wasn't just that he tightened his neck, but he att- he attempted to attempted to grab the floor with his feet. That's right. And, and he blames his and, past uh, teacher. Well, he well, I don't know that he blamed. He said he he said that may be something I picked up from this guy, you know, mm. who had this idea, but he didn't. Then you know, go 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 on a rant about the teacher. He just said, "Well, that's that's a habit I got from something he may have said, mm-hmm. and that's interesting." But now I'm in the moment, and I don't want to do it anymore because um, it's just creating extra tension in my body. Plus, really, the floor doesn't need to be grabbed. It's <laughs> just fine without me grabbing it. <laughs> I well, mean, that yeah. that reminds me of um, how Eugene Herigel defines uh, one of the important steps that he needed to take, and that step wasn't it couldn't exist on its own. It had to be in response or in in a positive opposition, mm-hmm. useful opposition mm-hmm. against another step. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that he had to let go. So I think that's how you define maybe inhibition. It's like Alexander didn't want to, you know, go into this world of uh, what the other oh, teacher shouldn't have done that. And gosh, you know, they should have let me know about this. So he had to inhibit his response to wanting to hang go- hang on to that, which created a response where he was able to let go of hanging on to the floor. Mm-hmm. So both the same thing. Right. So for the for the person learning to learn archery, he had actually had to let go of wanting to hit the target. He had to let go of being wrong and letting uh, that 
awful wobbling that wasn't supposed to happen happen. He had to let go at the same time that he projected. So, right there was a there's a moment in that book as I remember where he's he's studying archery with this I guess it's a Zen master right in Japan it's a German guy in Japan studying archery from a Zen master and he's uh, he, he's away from the master for a while and he discovers a way of kind of manipulating the system. <laughs> Do you remember that? He he figures no, he figures yeah. out how to how to get the arrow right on the on the target right in the center of the target by um, sort of direct action, mm. and he he's very proud and he shows it to the Zen master who promptly says, I, I, "You're no longer my student. Get out of here." And he had to beg him to to come back because he was kind. I imagine because he was sort of missing the point of the whole thing. It wasn't really about becoming an archer; it yep. was about becoming someone who who could. Um, but what was it about, Nastani? You know, it's a book that's. It was it's about a, the. It was, I think it's. Uh, this is. It can only be th- uh, expressed through my sensory awareness. So mm-hmm. it's about learning how to. Be out of balance. Yeah, learning how to learning how to get it wrong. Uh, my teacher on Australia Day. It's a hot day. My I suppose what you might want to call my Zen master. He's uh-huh. uh, since he's uh, he's just Dave. He's just David Brown. He's uh-huh. from Tasmania. He's just, yeah. He does you know he's just been doing shakuhachi, making shakuhachi, playing shakuhachi, doing aikido since he was a teenager, and um, the live sword showed up. So it was my first experience with seeing him teach Aikido with a, a, a deadly weapon. Uh-huh. A, and so he's uh, one of his long-term students and, and another, I think it was the, another high, high-ranking person in the class, would use the, the real sword when, after the demonstration. And, I, and hear him shouting from the other side of the room, don't look at the sword when you put it in its case. Don't look at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a it's a deadly weapon, and the, your first response is like, "Oh my God, I gotta hold it by the handle and put it in this case that's on my that's next to my uh, that's on my left side, uh, on mm-hmm. near the hip joint, right. and I, I've got to I've got to insert it back into its case without looking." Right, right. Because if I if I look, I'm basically taken out by another person with the sword. And it was that that was such an incredible thing. It's like it's not even about the sword; mm-hmm. it's about staying present, consciousness. It's about ex, ex, just expanding awareness. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It if I can't use it while I'm chopping potatoes, yeah, then it's it wasn't it wasn't worth learning. So the guy, Except, the guy who who tried to trick the Zen master with uh, with his manipulating of the arrow so it would hit the target. Was confusing. Uh, was thinking he was going to become a better archer when really the whole point of the exercise was developing a, a kind of a, a different state of awareness in him. And the, mm. the 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 arrow and the bow and the arrow and the target yeah. were just just happened to be what the platform was for making this discovery. 
Yeah, I mean, but, I was... But it I, wasn't I, like the Zen master was turning out master archers to be in the military or, or something <laughs> like that, you know? It was, it was, it was kind of just missing the point of the whole thing. Yeah, I suppose one of the reasons I uh, continue pursuing jazz improvisation is to demystify my subconsciously held beliefs about what it means for Mastonet to be a jazz improviser. Uh-huh. You know, right. are, are, are there all these sort of ghosts in the closet about who did it better and who did it first? Right, uh, right. Or right. is it about me learning about going out of balance? Um, right, right. Because, because once a child, once a child around the age of, you know, different for each child, uh, is getting to the point where they can kind of totter on their feet and learn how to take those first steps. If they're worried about being imbalanced, they just fall down. They'll tense up. So I, I like to I like to not go far too far away from that and keep it practical because in a sense I I did that. Mm-hmm. I went through that experience. I don't remember it, but I did it because I had a need to communicate. And I, I, I love doing all these different things that I do. Uh because of that, and sometimes it does get tough. It, do, it definitely, as a personal experience, I had a need to get it right and had a need to, um, you know, this and that and other judgment when I was in the training school. And uh, but it was great learning, you know. I was uh, I, I I put myself in there because I had a need to learn how to uh, find out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, is there anything that you want to add before we bring the conversation to a close? Um, yeah, I think I like to I like to add the idea that we we or, or we as an Alexander teaching community um, don't exactly have to stay to the leather leather. Letter, letter. The letter, yeah. <laughs> the letter, uh, because there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of exploration that can happen. There's a lot of new ways to communicate intention mm-hmm. uh, and help help ourselves deal more effectively with the situation uh, that Alexander never wrote about or never even experienced. Oh, so I really absolutely, think, and, so and, really, and Alexander. It was very clear many times, several times anyway, in his writing that he he uh, he was just starting something. He was it wasn't like now this is the Alexander technique as I created it and you really don't want to mess with it. In fact, he never used the word Alexander technique. And he he said some one of his quotes is, I hope someday that my work will be seen as a signpost to mm. far greater things. Mm. And there there are many instances in his his writing where he makes it clear that he's just in a sense he kind of I won't say he stumbled onto it because he was he was it was a it was a very conscious process on his part to learn how to deal with his voice issue but in a way he stumbled onto a process that he had no idea about before and that Mm. he was able to expand out into 
a way of self learning how to improve yourself that could be taught to others and would mm. be helpful in a wide variety of ways. But mm. clearly, since even since his death, which is about 55, 60 years ago, there have been a lot of developments in Alexander teaching. Yeah, and absolutely. we're seeing a lot of those right now. We're talking in 2013 in the area of Alexander Technique directions. I mean, there are just That's right. fantastic developments in that. Mm. So mm. maybe on that note, we should uh, bring our conversation to an end. What do you think? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. There'll, be, there'll be hours to talk about, but I think you're, you're, you picked it up. <laughs> well, hey, that's my job, right? So yeah. my, my guest, uh, my guest uh, today has been Mastena Nazarian, an Alexander Technique teacher in Melbourne, Australia. If you uh, live in that area, we'll put a link to her website. And if you're a student of the technique or want to become a student of the technique, uh, give her a call. We'll put an uh, put a link to a site that has more information about the technique, and also we'll tell you how to locate a teacher anywhere in the world. So, Mastena, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Robert. <laughs>